Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterson, and joining me on the line after a one-week absence and maybe feeling a little bit of pressure after the performance his brother put in last week. It's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, good evening, Winnow. And um, yeah, it gets harder and harder to, to get back up, really, after these couple of guest spots that you've had. And, um, yeah, certainly in a perilous position, I think, my... Um, my full-time role here on the podcast because there's some, <laughs> clearly some real talent out waiting in the wings. Oh, no doubt. It's like coming on after the Beatles, isn't it? Coming in after, <laughs> after the performance your brother put up. It was a, yeah. a ratings extravaganza after uh, after Patrick's performance last week. Oh, I could imagine, yeah. It would have gone through the roof. But, um, yeah, I was surprised he, he got on there sober. That was – I thought he would have been at least <laughs> been, been stubby before he uh, put on the headphones. But, um, no. no, no, encouraging first-up performance from him and hopefully – he um he can see how much he enjoyed it and can become a, a more regular contributor to the to the podcast going forward. Oh, no doubt that's what the the legion of fans would be would be looking for, Caddy. There's no question about that. Now, I saw during was it this week, Caddy? I saw some pictures of you on Facebook down at some sort of Space Jam sort of uh, setup. What, what what exactly was that that you got that you went to? Yeah, so basically it's a um yeah it's a Looney Tunes Space Jam basketball type of activity. Uh, exhibition, if you like, um, at the Exhibition Centre in Melbourne, and it's an expo that I think starts uh, started yesterday, and will run through the school holidays. So you had some yeah, uh, a sneak sneak peek tickets or something, did you? Are you, yeah, are you that big a, in the podcasting industry that uh, <laughs> that these sort of events are sending you out some sort of preview so you can plug it for them on the podcast? Exactly right. So now the the stuff that comes across the desk is um you know is varied, but yeah, when it's basketball related, they obviously are keen to get some um, further exposure, and yeah. It was, had the opportunity to get in there and have a bit of a sneak preview and there yeah, the kids tore around there for a, an hour and a half or so and um yeah it got right into it so uh, my son particularly is at an age where he's um really developed the um the love for the game and uh yeah he got he got stuck right into it so that no, was a good fun exhibition that'll run throughout the holidays and um yeah the tickets start from about fifty dollars so it's good to get in there and actually not have to pay the money. <laughs> Very good. Money well spent too because you've just given them an almighty plug. So <laughs> I'm assuming now, Caddy, that uh, it's probably going to be sold out for the entire duration, uh, much <laughs> to the disappointment of our Legion of fans because I'm sure after that plug, Caddy, they'd be looking to get down there. So, yeah, so we're getting now, Caddy, into the interesting part of the season where we've got now a lot of the league available to be traded and we've got uh, the Christmas Day extravaganza coming up so it's starting to really heat up and we've had a a number of sort of big stories uh eventuate throughout the year uh, throughout the week sorry and we'll kick it off with uh with the brooklyn nets now it was announced a couple of days ago that they're now doing a backflip on what they initially decided at the start of the season and they're going they're now going to allow Kyrie irving to come back into the fold and play all their away games so it was an interesting decision from me i thought anyway to see them do a backflip on that. They're twenty-one and nine now after a loss today in what was a very short-handed Brooklyn team that went out there. They actually had ten players in the protocols, including Durant and Harden, and and Kyrie Irving's already in the protocols, which means he's <laughs> he's either he's either returned a positive test or he's he's had a uh, an inc- in, inconclusive test. So, g- given um, his stance on not being vaccinated, he's actually going to be subjected, Caddy, to to testing every single day. So it's going to be something that's obviously not going to be too in- enjoyable for Irving to uh, go through that every day. But let's just get back onto this decision to them to, to totally backflip on what we – on a stance that they made. And I think it was roundly applauded uh, by pretty much everyone around the league. You know, it was going to be very difficult to have a player of Kyrie Irving's calibre coming in and out of the lineup so frequently. So – I, I certainly agree with the stance that they first made. So, were you surprised, Caddy, that they they backflipped on this, or do you think it's just maybe a byproduct of the fact that they've got so many guys out of the lineup at the moment, and they're just looking for any sort of reinforcement they can get their hands on? Yeah, I think it's certainly the latter there. Um, yeah, when it, when the announcement happened um, at the start of the season that he wouldn't be playing, I think it kind of made made sense in in the sense of you know just the away games not being being the only ones he could play. It's just seemed to be too disruptive but I think looking at what's happening um, around the league and at, at, at Brooklyn in particular it's it's you know that things have gone pear-shaped and I think Paddy Mills was basically saying yeah look they're just dropping like flies and any help they can get is going to be you know absolutely wanted and and supported so I think you know things have definitely changed around you know the the, the health of their players and their list and 
when you've got a guy that is theoretically fully healthy sitting there watching, yeah, you, you've just got to probably bite the bullet and get him in for the games you can, albeit, you know, the irony of him, you know, potentially being COVID positive. We've certainly not lost on anyone, I, I don't think. So, yeah, hopefully he can get out of that and, and come in and contribute. And they're clearly you no know, worried about, you know, the minutes that they're putting on or starting to put on guys like Kevin Durant in particular. Uh, we so so much of the season still to play, I think. It's a smart move. You just don't want, God forbid, anything to happen to to Durant or even Harden as the season goes on. So if if um, Kyrie can come in and give them a bit of a chop out um, in all those away games um, that he's going to be available for, then I think it you know it does make it does make sense really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it does. I mean, they were certainly shorthanded t- tonight, as I said. That they their starting lineup for the game against Orlando Magic today was David Duke Jr., Kessler Edwards, Blake Griffin, Cam Thomas, and Patty Mills. So Certainly not a who's who of the NBA. Do you think this is maybe the first step that they're sort of trying to, I don't know if convince is the right word, but maybe they're hoping that Kyrie will enter the fold, start to enjoy, enjoy himself, see that they're obviously going to be a legitimate chance to win this whole thing. It's a very, very open season this year. And, you know, with Durant, Harden and Irving all back in the fold, maybe they're hoping that once Irving comes back in, he's going to get to the playoffs because you can't imagine – you know, in a seven-game series, he's going to even – they're certainly – well, they're the number one seed at the moment, so he's going to miss at least three games in a seven-game series because he, he, he can't um, – well, even four games because he can't play the, the home game. So do you think maybe they're hoping that he gets back into the fold and then maybe changes his mind on this whole stance that he's taken? Oh, possibly. Look, that could be a, a bridge too far, as we, you know, speculated all the way through. I don't think um, Corey Irving's the sort of guy that's just going to probably flip on his, on his stance around – uh, the vaccination that we assume he, he hasn't had. So I think initially at the moment, it's more just out of desperation to get some bodies on the court that they've you know, clearly got waiting in the wings. And, you know, if in the end he, he can make that decision and, and be a full-time member of the team, well, that'll be fantastic. But I think initially for now, I think they're just basically running, running through the roster and going, well, you know, if we get this many games out of him, it's going to certainly alleviate some of the stress on, on the other players as they're going forward and, and sort of, future-proof them for other further COVID outbreaks if they've got another guy um, playing, you know, clearly at the level we think he can play at. So, yeah, ideally, if he got, you know, decided to do it, then that'd be great. But I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I think for now it's just getting back in there and getting him out of the protocol and and getting playing in a couple of these games um, at the start of the new year. For me, I just can't imagine how that's going to work in the playoffs with, with one of your best players just not playing games when he's actually physically able to do so. So I'm really interested how the rest of the season does progress, you know, based upon that. So where, where do you see Brooklyn now? As I said, they're the number one seed in the East, and they, but they've sort of had a bit of a disappointing or lacklustre, I guess. It sounds ridiculous to say that, given that they are the number one seed. But where do you sit with them now? Some of their players, you know, Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap, Bruce Brown, uh, even Joe Harris, who's out injured at the moment, haven't performed up to the levels that we would have hoped. And obviously James Harden as well certainly isn't playing up to his usual levels. Now, Kevin Durant has just been absolutely incredible. And is if he's not the front runner for the MVP, he's right there in the conversation. So where do they sit for you now they get Irving back into the fold? Are they the clear number one seed in the East? Or have you still sort of got a leaning towards probably a Milwaukee? Yeah, look, I've probably went towards Milwaukee all the way through since the beginning of the season. I've probably haven't seen enough to, to change that. Um, whether Kyrie Irving comes back in and that, you know, they can get some, some synergy there happening with the other stars in that team, you know, then they're clearly going to be thereabouts and be in the mix there. You know, obviously already have the, the best record on the East. But, um, you know, I think they've performed, you know, particularly well, really, Brooklyn. I, I don't know if we could have expected too much more out of them. I, I think ideally you would have liked to have had, you know, probably better production out of James Harden for a guy if he's his obvious talent to only be averaging 20 points a game is a fair drop off from what, you know, he's brought to the table in previous seasons. But, you know, that, that has been alleviated a little bit by, you know, Paddy Mills's um, wonderful play this season. He's been you know, such a bargain pick up for them. And I think, you know, when, when that uh, signing was announced, you know, particularly us Australian fans could clearly see how much value he'd be able to bring to them. And I think, you know, Kevin Durant and these sort of guys just must be loving having him um, not only out on the court with them because of his play, but also just around the locker room and and off court because he's such a you know positive, enthusiastic influence. So uh, he's he's been really good. I think you know until they get Joe Harris back playing and fit, 
than you know what they can get out of uh, Kyrie Irving. I know Claxton's only played the eleven games for the year as well, so you know they they've had guys coming in and out of this lineup all season. So I really don't think they've had a uh, a really clear and and you know even shot at things. So. I think when they get everyone back out there and, and up and healthy, then you know they're clearly going to be in the top couple of sides in the East to be considered to to get through to the um to the NBA Finals. But you know I think if they can maintain you know this sort of win loss ratio as they are at the moment, they're twenty one and nine, um, that you know puts them in, in really good shape um, to sort of be you know high fifties win team at least. Um, you know that's going to be a pretty outstanding result considering the you know a lot of the turmoil they have had to endure with not only the Kyrie Irving. Uh, stuff at the start of the season, but now, now this um, massive COVID outbreak that's um, ripped through their team. Yeah, so they certainly have to been been depleted. So yeah, I'm interested to see how it all unfolds over the next month or so, and and how they all sort of come together, and whether Irving does backflip at all. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I I agreed with you know what you said at the start of the season. I I thought Irving was going to be pretty pig headed, and it had proved to be the case so far. But I just. I'm just a bit sceptical as to how that can work and he plays a whole season and then gets to playoffs and only plays in the away games. I just find that totally bizarre. So I'll be interested to see how that all shakes out. Uh, Some of the other big news that happened that came down today was Anthony Davis uh, has injured, I think it was his MCL in his knee, and he's going to be re-evaluated in four weeks. So that obviously doesn't mean that he's going to be back on the court in four weeks. He's just going to be re-evaluated in four weeks. So the Lakers are now... 16 and 14, uh, which is good for sixth in the West after they had a loss, a pretty big loss yesterday to Minnesota. Uh, we did see LeBron and Westbrook both played in that game, and, and Davis played about 20-odd minutes before he went down with that knee injury. So it's a bit of a disappointing loss. They had actually won three games in a row leading into that game and looked like maybe they, they were starting to turn their season around. But Based on this injury now, Katie, if I was to sort of say to you, rate uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 about how worried you are after this injury from a Lakers perspective, how high are you going to go with that worry meter? Oh, it's got to be right up, you know, in the in the 8, 9, 10 category, really. It's, um, yeah, he, he's the one guy they just couldn't afford to lose, probably. Um, you know, we know how important LeBron James is to, to the outfit, but without Anthony Davis playing and, and the extra load it's going to put on guys like LeBron and Westbrook. It's, you know, I just don't think they can probably come back from that in the sense that, you know, four to six weeks is a, you know, fair bulk of this next part of the season as you'd probably head up to, I suppose it's what nearly the all-star break. Um, and with them sort of teetering in that, you know, just above 500, they're in a sort of a big group of teams there with the Clippers, Denver, Dallas, and even Minnesota to an extent. So look, I don't think there's any huge risk of them, falling out of the playoffs or, or the play-in for that matter because there's so many probably bad teams at the bottom end of the of the West that, you know, just aren't going to be capable of, of capitalising. But from a sort of championship contender position, um, yeah, it's, it's going to put enormous strain on that. And I think they were, you know, probably marginal, at, you know, anyway in terms of any of those discussions. So, yeah, this is not good news for the Lakers and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, and plus they are de- they're dealing with their own um, COVID outbreaks as well. They haven't sort of copped it as bad as a few of the other teams, but um, you know they have probably four or five guys currently out um, in the protocols as well. So combined with a with an injury, it's just um, yeah that's hard to come back from. And unless the great Isaiah Thomas the second can come in and and you know be their former All Star yeah, level, good player. start he had yesterday, wasn't it? Absolutely, and, and you, you can't feel but absolutely happy and and delighted for him to get another opportunity because um, yeah of of any sort of superstar level player in the last 10 or so years. I think he's probably copped it worse than anyone in terms of timing around that injury he had and then the trade to Cleveland, just as um, he was hoping they were going to back up the Brinks truck in Boston for him and, and really start handing out the sheets. Um, he, the injury was just a disastrous timing and he just you know, en- ended up falling his way out of the league entirely. But he's worked hard. He, um, he was playing in the USA qualifying games and had a starring role in that, and then a couple of games there in the G League, and you know, clearly a, a baller at heart. And has come in on in, in game one today, I think it was, or yesterday with the 19 points. And uh, hopefully, um, well, they're going to need they're going to need that to continue for as long as he's on on the roster currently, just the 10 day contract. But uh, without Davis, yeah, the Lakers just certainly aren't any sort of contention for mine. No, well, no doubt about it. The, the reason they had started to sort of get rolling a little bit was that they basically, you know, Howard and DeAndre Jordan had been 
gone from the starting lineup, and we'd seen them more shift towards Davis starting at the five. And despite the fact he's probably had a bit of an underwhelming season, he's averaging the 23 points, almost 10 rebounds, shooting 17% from three. He's There were some numbers floating around a couple of weeks ago about how historically poor he's, not just his three-point shooting, but just his jump shooting in general had been this season. So, yeah, he, he's a funny one. We, we all love the way Anthony Davis goes about it. He's a terrific defender. Um, but it, but he's just he looks a little bit lethargic at times, and you can see him sort of sleepwalking his way through games. But despite that fact, he's just as you said, almost their most important player. You can you can argue about who it is out of LeBron and Davis, but he just brings so much to the table on both ends of the floor. And and you mentioned that the strain it's going to put on LeBron James. He's only played the eighteen games so far out of out of the thirty, but his minutes are up at thirty seven a game. Now that's far too many minutes for a guy of, of uh, LeBron's injury history over the last couple of seasons and obviously his age and and the miles that are already on his legs they, they got to find a way to somehow limit the burden on LeBron during this four five six weeks or however long this injury stretches out for because we, you don't want LeBron being run down and then you get Davis back into the lineup and then LeBron's out for an extended period so yeah it's going it's going to be a really tough month or two month or month and a half or whatever it turns out to be for the Lakers and as you said that they've probably got the that added bonus of of how poor that bottom sort of section of the west is with you know Portland, Sacramento, Minnesota, even Dallas is only playing 500, the Spurs are you know 11 and 17 so I agree with you that they're not in any sort of immediate danger of falling out of that playing sort of bracket but uh it's certainly not ideal that they, they could end up in, in that uh playing tournament as they did last year and then you know we saw what happened when they played the Phoenix Suns in that first round they copped an injury to Davis and then they're out. So the, the, they just, this looks like it's going to be similar to last year. They're not going to have any room to move uh, in the playoffs and, and any sort of slight injury will, will, will send them out again. And and then it will be an interesting offseason because they're obviously sort of locked into the uh, the current lineup as it stands at the moment. Uh, the other injury news, Caddy, we had during the week was, uh, again, you know, we, we seem to be speaking about this every two or three weeks, that uh, Zion Williamson... Um, injury absence will be extended. So he's, again, similar to Davis, he's going to be evaluated in four weeks' times after he received a, a biologic injection injection into the fracture site to stimulate some bone healing in his foot. And now none of that, I don't know what any of that, med- uh, that uh, medical jargon means, but it certainly doesn't sound positive. So the New Orleans Pelicans at uh, 10 and 21, uh, they've actually won, they're actually 7 and 5 in their last 12 games. So they have started to, Get their act together. They're only two and a half games back of that of that playing torn that playing seed, I suppose. As I mentioned uh, just just uh, a couple of minutes ago, how how poor that that back end of the West is. So there's been some rumblings, Caddy, that uh, they might be looking to be buyers at the trade deadline, which which has surprised me. There was even some rumours that they might be looking to offload some of these draft picks to get into the the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. So. What what path do you think they should go down now that they've got this Zion news? Do you, firstly, do you, what do you think they should do with him? Should they just wait as basically uh, tell him to sit out the rest of the season, or are you happy for him to come back in the last ten fifteen games? And the second thing is, what do you think they should do at the trade deadline? Should they look to move on a an Ingram or a Valanciunas, or maybe should they they sort of trade some of these guys and use some of these draft picks to, to get maybe a Simmons or, or a or a second star to play behind Zion when he's healthy? Uh, look, first around Zion, I think, you know, we've spoken about it a number of times and I think last time I was sort of pretty strong on the fact I think it was uh, even better that they, you know, put a stop coming up with these short-term timelines and really push it out to all-star break or, you know, something, you know, well dead in the future and this sort of late, latest uh, news is, is sort of lining up towards that. So, I, you know, I think that's probably good in a sense that, you know, hopefully the Pelicans, you know, aren't sort of expecting him back anytime sooner. They can just get on with, you know, I think trying to lose as many games as possible, to be honest. I, I think as much as you said, you know, they, they've started winning some games in the last few weeks have been okay. Yeah, look, really, they, they just need to be sort of bottoming out as far as they can and, and really just hoping that Zion can come back healthy, you know, whether it is at the back end of the season or but certainly into next year and, and then hopefully pick up a, another top three or four draft pick uh, in this year's draft. Uh, we know that they've got lots of other first-round picks in their war chest as well. And then hope 
to get one more. I think they need to have one more look at what it looks like with Zion Williams playing alongside Brandon Ingram and, and Valentinus and, and whatever else they've got there because, um, yeah, they just haven't had a, a, a good enough sample size, I don't think, to, to see how it's all going to work uh, with the roster that they've got without Zion actually taking the court. So in terms of this season, it's a write-off anyway. They're not going to be, you know... We know that they're close to that last play-in spot, but that's you know going to be a marginal opportunity at best. And I think they're better off, you know, really trying to head the other in the other direction and and really just get as a higher draft pick as they possibly can and, and see what comes out of that in the draft that they can put with Zion and, and Ingram at the start of next year and, and then see what they've got. So yeah, I, I think it's you know probably not. Certainly wasn't a, a shock or a surprise when the announcement came that he was you know going to be further out because as as we'd probably speculated. A little bit a few weeks back was probably the best way to go anyway because, um, yeah, that foot injury clearly is a problem and, and when you're probably not in the condition you need to be, it's, um, it's not going to get um, better anytime soon. So, yeah, the, the more rest you can get without rushing back, I think certainly the better for him and, and the team for this season. Yeah, well, it, it certainly appears to be the, the most logical way to go, doesn't it? Just sort of let, let the year play out as it does, bring Zion back, if they do it all very late in the season and, and try and go to get a good draft pick because the moves they've made uh, over the last couple of seasons, you know, David Griffin was certainly under the microscope at the moment. Valentunas, that move, you know, has, has proved to be pretty good. We, we knew what he was going to bring to the table. He's at almost 19 points a game, 12 rebounds. Shoot, they brought him in as, as what they said was a floor spacer and everyone sort of you know, turn their nose up at that, but he's actually shooting 46% from three, not on a, a great number of attempts, and that's probably propped up by that one game where he hit, I think, seven of eight. But uh, he's certainly been a good move. But, you know, bringing in Graham as opposed to keeping Lonzo Ball, Graham shooting 37% from the field, uh, despite the fact he hit one of the most audacious uh, buzzer-beating game winners you've ever seen um, during the week, which was incredible. Uh, Alexander Walker, which they were hoping to take a, a big step this season. Well, he's been underwhelming at 36% from the field. So, And uh, Kira Lewis Jr. was the other guy they were hoping to have a big season. Well, he's out injured for the remainder of the season. So they, they certainly haven't sort of hit the target with any of these moves over the last couple of off-seasons. So I agree. They need to just let this season play out, hopefully get a good draft pick, maybe draft a good player to put next to, to Zion, see next season how... how uh, Ingram and Zion work together and see how it works with Valentunas and then maybe work out what they want to do with these, these war chests of draft picks, I suppose, because there's no point just picking all these guys. They need to get uh, use all these picks together and, and maybe trade, whether it's an Ingram or all these draft picks, to bring in an absolute superstar to play next to Zion and, and see how it goes. Just on Zion Caddy, he's going to be due for uh, an extension in the off-season. Would you be comfortable, given his injury history, giving him that that sort of max extension or not I don't think this would happen but you know take any sort of um I guess sort of you know love that they have for Zion given that they drafted him but could you foresee any sort of scenario where they actually traded Zion before this trade deadline they could probably get a war chest for him there's huge question marks about his ability to stay on the floor or do you just think it's it's just a no-brainer. Give him the the max uh, extension in the off-season, and just cross your fingers and hope that he's good to go for the remainder of his career. Yeah, it's it's probably the most interesting you know rookie extension that that's going to be coming up in in recent history because of what, everything that you mentioned, and um, it's going to be a bit of a test case to see whether or not you know the the most likely scenario would be that the team offers him the extension, he signs it because from the team point of view, it's not often that you you know draft a generational talent, and it's not. For the player, um, it's, it's a big call to give up the guaranteed money. So, you know, whether that is, you know, a full max or it's one of these Joel Embiid sort of extensions that have, you know, got a few asterisks around games played or injuries and things like that, there's a bit of protection to the team. So, um, I mean, the, the other thing is that he, he doesn't sign an extension. He, he plays on the qualifying offer um, in that next season, which is still a healthy $17 million that he'll, he'll be able to earn, which is... Probably you know. that that could change, Caddy. If he doesn't reach it, I don't know what the games number is, but he has to reach a particular uh, number of games this season for his qualifying offer to be that high. Otherwise, it's it's almost halved or something like that. Yeah, so that's going to be seven million. I think it drops down to. So. Yeah, so that's going to be yeah. interesting to see how the remainder of the season does go. Yeah, and and that's clearly why I, I don't think he won't, from his point of view, won't sign the extension because 
you know, $7 million only guaranteed for the rest of your careers, a lot different than having, you know, maybe $200 million, you know, lined up guaranteed. And I think, you know, generally speaking, the consensus around the players which, you know, certainly recently has been, you know, sign the extension and figure out the destination later. Um, so bank the money and then worry about how it looks um, in terms of forcing a trade if, if you have to at some point. So, you know, I think that's going to certainly be the case here. I can't imagine that if the money's offered to him, that it would just be a crazy situation if he was to knock it back and, and play it out, play out the rookie deal. Whereas, you know, again, the team is going to have to take some risk around the extension. But uh, I, I, again, on, on, from their side of things, I'd be flabbergasted if the extension isn't offered. Yeah, we we did see what happened with Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Denver offered him the extension, and then straight away, it's uh, it's come back to bite them. I agree that they're more more than likely going to offer him that extension, but uh, there's certainly going to be some sort of trepidation, I'd imagine, given his inability to one stay on the floor and two keep himself in any sort of condition that, that would be expected of a guy who's going to be getting paid upwards of 200 million so let's keep our fingers crossed because the, the basketball that uh, Zion played in that second half of last season was absolutely incredible for a guy of his age to be as good as he was he was putting up you know historic numbers that were comparable to Shaq with his ability to to, to shoot uh, in the paint so let's hope he can get back out on the court at some stage this year and uh, stay healthy for the remainder of his career well, there's a number of players at the moment, Caddy, who unfortunately aren't healthy. We've just seen over the last sort of, well, basically I think since Thanksgiving where the NBA really ramped up the testing, uh, we've seen that the COVID numbers really you know, go through the roof. I think we're upwards of 60 players at the moment that have that are, that are in the uh, health and safety protocols. So, And it's, and it's come out that uh, during the week that they're, they're going to ramp up the, the testing as well over this holiday period. So... That that would you know that would mean that you would expect an, an even higher number of of players and teams to be really affected by what's going on at the moment. So, what do you think that the league should do, Caddy? They just basically have to grit their teeth and sort of push their way through this, and basically the the fans and the product have to suffer. Or do you think that is there is there any way that they could one maybe pause the season or two? I, I can't imagine they're going to do this, but maybe even look at a bubble scenario. What, what do you think the best course of action uh, for you is for the NBA to follow? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting per- perilously dangerous, I think, with the amount of numbers that you're talking in terms of what's in the protocol. When you go through team by team, you know, there's just some, you know, some really um, big numbers uh, across the league there. And at some point, pot- pot- potentially, it could become, you know, just unattainable that they can continue. But I don't think they're there yet. I think clearly the the league's going to try and push on for as long and as far as they can because it's, you know, such a logistical nightmare, you know, fixturing any sort of uh, season anyway, let alone when you're having to uh, postpone games or pause the season for a period of time. We've already seen this week the Bulls um, had two games postponed. They've been the first two uh, so far this year. We saw it a little bit more regularly last year, postponements that were then rescheduled down the track. But the difference with this year, the last year, was that last year they hadn't fixtured or, or scheduled the back half of the season, so they were able to have some flexibility around that, whereas this year the, the entire schedule ha- had been put out there, so it's going to be a hell of a lot harder logistically to try and um, back-end any games that are missed. So already, you know, as, as I mentioned, Chicago's got the two games to catch up on. So... I don't know if there's a tipping point or a, or a metric or some sort of number that the league's going to be looking at in terms of whether they need a, to as a, to stop the season or pause the season. But, yeah, it's, it's got to be getting close. And, and as the, the winter over there continues and, and what we're seeing around the world, it's it's clearly going to continue to run this thing. And, um, you know, the NBA is certainly not, <laughs> not going to be, um, you know, escaping it either. So, yeah, as you mentioned, whether there's a bubble scenario, I just don't know that the players are going to be probably signed up or that keen for that, I think more realistically initially would probably be crowds and fans or, you know, half stadiums or empty stadiums. I think that'll probably be the first thing that they'd probably try. But, yeah, if there's no players, then it's um, going to be very, very difficult for it to continue. But, yeah, I think it's just been, not, I suppose, surprising, just the high-end talent that, you know, the names that continue to come in day in, day out. Like, obviously, today it was Kevin Durant yesterday or the day before was Giannis, James Harden and, yeah, so it's, it's you know Zach Levine. So there's been you know star players that are that are you know, that are getting wiped out here. And as as the as we know, the NBA really has its big day on Christmas Day over there, Boxing Day here. And 
at this stage, it's, it's looking <laughs> pretty dangerous that a few of these big stars won't be back playing by then. So, yeah, such a such an interesting situation, and it's now the third year that or the third season that's being affected by the pandemic. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you know the NBA or or anyone really just thought we'd be back in this position, you know, three years or nearly three years into it. Yeah, it's certainly disappointing for everybody. The, the interesting thing here, interesting thing is, uh, you you mentioned there about maybe that they'll start to limit the number of fans they get into the stadiums. Apparently, most of the stadiums the fans aren't wearing any masks, which I find unbelievable, given that you know how how much is sort of running rampant in the states at the moment. But uh, it, it just it's got to bring the the credibility of the season into question at some stage. When you know you mentioned the fact that both Durant and Giannis are out, that's two of the the best four players this season that are, that are out at the moment. When you look at how tight the standings are in both conferences, and you mentioned Chicago have you know two games postponed. We've seen enough. Brooklyn obviously today, Milwaukee didn't have any of their starting five playing today. It's just. It's just making a bit of mockery, a bit of a mockery, I think, of the season at the moment. So I, I don't know. If there's any sort of perfect solution to to this at all. I, they probably are just going to grit their teeth and and try and work their way through it. But it, it's obviously a less than ideal scenario for the NBA. But you know, unfortunately, I don't think there's there's a great sort of answer to it. Unless, could, could you foresee any scenario, Caddy, where I think they've mentioned in the past that. 95% or somewhere around that sort of mark of players are actually vaccinated. Can you see any any scenario where the league actually let guys who are positive uh, who have a po- positive covid test actually continue to play or do you think that just because of the I guess the, the newness of this disease and and the unknown about it that they're probably opening themselves to some you know if something happened to badly happened to one of these players and and they're playing when they were uh, a Positive. Do you just think that's a landmark that the NBA won't want to sort of approach? Yeah, look, I, I don't think it necessarily that's out of the question, particularly for the for the ones that aren't showing symptoms or are asymptomatic, as, as they say. And I think the interesting comments were from De, Demar Derozan this week, basically saying that his only symptom for the last ten days he sat out was boredom. Um, so there's a guy <laughs> that's clearly you know contracted the the illness, not affected at all, no symptoms, nothing, not at ever a runny nose. So. I don't know whether that's the line, you know, whether it's literally where, where, you know, you're showing symptoms or I don't play. If you're not showing symptoms, well, you know, maybe you're, you're fair game because I think it's pretty realistic that, you know, even over here in Australia, we're all going to get it at some point. It's not yep. a matter of, you know, if we're going to get it, we will. It's just hopefully you don't get, you know, unwell from it. And that's the idea of what a vaccination's for and, and what they're now rushing out is the booster shots, which I'm sure once all the players have those, which I'm sure they're going to have to, then, you know, at that point, maybe if you're, you know, you're double vaccinated, you've got your, your booster and you're not showing symptoms, well, it's, you know, you, it, it could be play on. So I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it got to that maybe initially and then as this thing normalises, you know, it just becomes another illness that, you know, that you have and it's either you're, you're well enough to play or you're not well enough to play. It's no different to if you're missing with a with a flu or, you know, what they call a non-COVID illness. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're just not up to playing, you don't play that particular game, not necessarily missing a whole week or two weeks or whatever it is at the moment. So, yeah, I think that they, they may need to continue to look at that. And, and I think, you know, a, a bit closer to home here, the same thing with the cricket or the AFL next season. It's, you know, I think once you, you've either got COVID, but, you you know, maybe it's a line around, you know, just the symptoms. And if you're actually not feeling well, then don't play. Yeah, well, they have to come. To, that decision has to be made at some stage, doesn't it? Otherwise, we're just going to be going around and around in circles for years and years on end. So, and, and there's there's no doubt that there were players early on in the season. The, the testing was ramped right up, as I said, around Thanksgiving, and that's you know it's no coincidence that once the testing uh, was ramped right up, that the numbers started flowing in. You know, as Donald Trump was saying. You know, back and everyone made fun of him. He was saying slow the testing down because he wanted the numbers to come down. Well, the numbers were down early on in the NBA season because they weren't testing as much. They ramp up the testing. Obviously, the numbers start flooding through, coupled by the fact, obviously, that, you know, a lot of these players did travel around the country and and caught up with family and stuff for Thanksgiving because it's such a big holiday in America. But, yeah, hopefully they can sort of come to some sort of agreement or arrangement, as you said, that, you know, maybe if you're not showing any symptoms that you're that you're right to go because, yeah, otherwise we're just going to be dealing with this for, for a number of years, which obviously nobody uh, nobody will enjoy. 
Now, Caddy, we need to talk about a couple of teams that have either started to play some really good basketball or have started to struggle. Now, we identified a couple of teams that we wanted to talk about. and now, Coincidentally, they actually played against each other today, and that was the Washington Wizards and the Utah Jazz. Now, the Wizards surprisingly come away with a 109-103 win today and Bradley Beal was fantastic down the stretch in that game uh, pulling the the right levers whether it be hitting some really good shots or making some good passes and and we saw the Utah Jazz it was uh, Donovan Mitchell Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal I think it was both uh, all three of those guys missed uh, crucial free throws which which made their job much harder um, and it was KCP who, who hit a massive turnaround three with the shot clock expiring to to increase their lead from two to five and, and basically put the game uh, beyond Utah Jazz. But we'll start with the Jazz caddy. They they had been fantastic leading into that game. They're now 20 and nine, which is good for third in the West. Their, their offensive rating, I, I haven't looked at it after today's um, number, but they are ranked first in the league in offense with an offensive rating of 119, which is actually the best in the history of the NBA. And we've seen so many teams this year struggling offensively, whether it be you know if, because of the new ball, the new foul rules, or the fact there's people in the stadiums. There's a million different theories as to why a number of these teams are struggling. But the Utah Jazz are putting up historic numbers on the offensive end. They've actually... Uh, they're actually five percentage points uh, in front of the second place team, which is which is Atlanta. And to put that into context, Caddy, the, the, uh, if you take the next five percentage points down uh, between Atlanta and and it's the twentieth place Boston Celtics, that's the same gap between uh, first and second. So that just sort of illustrates how good Utah have been on the offensive end. So they've got a, a, a net rating of plus 11, which is good for second in the league. They had one eight in a row leading into into that. Uh, two-point loss to the Spurs, but they've, again, Caddy, when we spoke about this last year, they've had exceptional luck with health, so out of their starting five, Donovan Mitchell's missed one game, Royce O'Neal's missed two games, Conley was out today, meaning that was the third game he's missed, and Gobert and Bogdanovich has played every game, so their starting five, they've only had seven games missed out of their total starting five, and Joe Ingles, who's their, their key contributor, one of their key contributors off the bench, hasn't missed a game at all. So they're one of the teams that haven't been affected by injury or, or protocols as yet. So that's obviously really helping them have this strong start to the season. But where do you sit on the Utah Jazz at the moment, Caddy? Is it just a bit of a wait and see for you because we've seen this all before? We've seen them being dominant during the regular season and they haven't been quite uh, been able to perform in the playoffs. Or have you seen something a little bit different, you know, with the, with Rudy Gay playing a bit of small ball five and they're switching their defense a little bit more with him on the floor? So have you seen enough that's sort of starting to change your mind that they could be a, a championship contender? Or is it still a wait-and-see approach for you for the Utah Jazz? Yeah, look, I think it's still the, the wait-and-see, really. I, I think what they're doing now certainly isn't unexpected. Um, we knew they were, you know, they're built to be a terrific regular season team and and that's certainly, you know, maintaining again this season. And I actually think they're a little bit deeper um, this year than even previously. I think, you know, the Hassan Whiteside um, pickup in the off season's been a been really good as a surprisingly been a, good, hasn't he? As a, yeah, he's got, got a bunker. bit of a reputation as a bonehead, but he's he, he's he's uh, embraced his role, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think they'd have to be really thrilled with what they're getting off the bench in fifteen minutes a night uh, from him. You know, a legitimate big man to to support Rudy Gobert, and then. You know, Rudy Gay is the other guy that's you know, probably the other key acquisition in the off season. Who you know clearly missed the the, the uh, front end of the season, but has come back in and and slotted in really perfectly. Just a seasoned veteran, and and that's what these teams you know really built for. And um, he, he's been able to kind of come in and find a role and, and gives them a bit of added versatility, as you mentioned, to be able to play a bit smaller if they do. But yeah, really, I think you know we, we expected they'd be a you know high fifties win team going into the season. Nothing sort of is suggesting that. That that's going to change, and really, they they just need to go deep as deep as they can again. And I think anything less for them than a, a Western Conference Finals um, berth would have to be seen as a disappointing outcome. And you know they're going to be up against it. We know how good Golden State Warriors have been this season. Phoenix are the other ones that are you still got to get past. But I think they're the three that have you know clearly separated themselves at the top of the West. And um, you know Utah, you know anything less than a Western Conference. Finals berth will be a disappointment. So I think you know until we get to that point, it's going to be really hard to judge. I think where where they're at because what they're doing right now is probably what we expected. And when you mentioned you know you know in terms of games missed and the the luck that they're having uh, once again, they had you know had a similar run last year. The 
pieces are certainly falling uh, their way at this stage. So if they can continue to to play as they are, their you know home uh, their home records actually um, is worse than their away record, which is quite interesting. They're ten and three away and ten and six at home. So um, you know we know what an advantage they generally have playing at home, and they've um, so you'd expect that 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 home record could would has got scope for improvement as well. So, but they'll be right up there. Um, I've got no worries about where they currently sit. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, I think we, like most people, we're going to be just waiting it to the, to the postseason to see, you know, how far they inevitably can go. Well, as, as it probably has been over the last couple of seasons, it might be as far as Donovan Mitchell can take him, take him. You always need that, that one sort of superstar to be able to, take over a game when needed. And Mitchell has taken his game again to another level. He's shooting career high in field goal percentage and free throw percentage. So he's their closer. We've seen him a number of times during the playoff have big games. And even though he was quite quite limited with, I think it was an ankle injury during last year's playoff series, um, he, he was very, very good despite the fact of that. So, you know, Rudy Gobert's having another outstanding season. He, he'd be riding line for, for another all-star berth at 15 points and almost 15 rebounds again, shooting almost 74% from the field. Not that he not that he shoots anything, he just throws down dunks, but uh, that's just an incredible number uh, for him to be putting up. You know, you spoke about Gay and Whiteside and, and these guys that they've had in the off-season. But can, when you look at their roster, do you think that they need to maybe look to add somebody uh, before this trade line is out, maybe uh, you know they, they rely very heavily on on Royce O'Neal, don't they, to be that defensive stopper? He's the one that goes up against a Giannis or a or a KD or a LeBron or you know a Paul George or one of these types of players. So do you, do you think they need to add somebody to to help him in that department, or are they just going to keep relying on good old Aussie Joe Ingles, who's probably having a little bit of a down year? What do you reckon, Caddy? They need to look at to do something in that department. Yeah, look, I'd be surprised if it's via trade. I think, you know, they're probably going to be angling more towards the buyout market um, with this team. I don't think they probably want to give up, you know, any of that top, what is it, nine players that they rely on um, pretty heavily. So whether they're prepared to throw in, you know, first-round draft picks potentially to try and, you know, get another contributor uh, this season, I think it would be more likely, you know, wait to that buyout market opportunity and, and try and bring something in there. I, I think if they can get another scorer, um, I know... You know, we, we spoke about Mitchell and how they're going to go as far as he can take them, and, and Clarkson's sort of that secondary um, scorer, if you like, off the bench. But if they can just get another reliable uh, sc- scorer, maybe in the guard, you know, or that wing rotation piece, um, that that might be the area, um, just another go-to scorer that they that they can trust to play, you know, late in some of these playoffs games. Who that is, I, I haven't really thought through that at this stage, but I think. Now they're they're built pretty well out, but I don't think they'd want to give up any of that top nine to to take a flyer on someone. I think it'd be more likely, you know, one of the the buyout guys. That you know, generally Utah's probably not the the strongest destination for those yeah. guys. To That's the problem, but, isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, it's usually you know the Lakers or Brooklyn or or one of those teams that, that get that get those sort of guys. So. Yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see that. It was, of course, announced in the week that Danny Ainge, the former basketball operations or manager or whatever his role was at Boston, has now come on board. And we had a weird – I can't even remember what the actual title was that they've given him, but a bit of a strange one. So it'll be, it's interesting to see a team going so well add somebody like a Danny Ainge during the season. So, yeah, there's obviously a number of voices in the room at the moment with him, and it sounds like Dwayne Wade's got a – a pretty heavy influence uh, there as a, as a part owner. So let's see what they do uh, approaching this trade deadline. It, that'll sort of indicate, I think, how serious they think they are to, to be a, a title contender this year. Now, the team they played against, Caddy, was the Washington Wizards, and they had really been struggling. Heading into this game, they were 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, but they obviously came away with a sensational victory. Uh, you mentioned how, well, not poor, but uh, surprisingly uh, under... Under par, I'd, I'd suppose you call it, Utah's home record would be. But to still knock off the Utah Jazz on their home floor when you'd been struggling was was a really big win and a win that the the Wizards needed. Now they did they're still they're still seventh in the East, which they were leading into that game, but they're now sixteen and fifteen. So since that really hot start to the season, you know that they've they've fallen off on both ends. I think in, during that ten game. Uh, sample there where they were two and eight. They're they're in bottom five in both offense and defense. So they had really good defense when the season started, and we were looking at the way Bill's season had started, and we were thinking, well, once he gets rolling, their offense will certainly click into gear, and they're going to be a really dangerous team. But it's it's almost worked to the opposite. Bill's probably started to get going a little bit over the last 
six, seven, eight games. And as I said, he was he was absolutely sensational today. But what are you seeing from them, Caddy? Is this sort of the Wizards basically finding their level at around about a 500 team? Or do you think that uh, they can sort of get get back to that level they were, they were showing earlier on in the season and push up and be one of these teams outside maybe a Brooklyn uh, and uh, a Milwaukee and be in that next rung underneath those top two teams in the East? Yeah, they're an interesting watch, aren't they? They were certainly the, the Cinderella story of the first you know portion of the season. You know, really came out of the blocks. But yeah, as you mentioned, probably come back to probably about the expectation of where they most people would have had them, which is probably between maybe six and ten there in the east. And I think inevitably that's probably where they'll find themselves um, positioned by by the end of the season. I, I think they're good enough certainly to kind of you know be in that fifth or sixth seed. Um, maybe I, I think they're they're a rung below um, the top four, which I'd probably have as Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami, and and maybe Chicago. I know Cleveland are sort of still up there, and we, I'd probably still expect a run to come from Philadelphia at some point. But they're certainly, you know, right in the mix there, and you just want to see some probably greater consistency now as they head, um, you know, head past Christmas and into the new year. Um, and whether, as as they say, can they be a successful team with Bradley Beal being the uh, playing at sort of the star level that we've seen in the past? Because you know, as you mentioned, when they were winning games, it was more of the sum of the parts rather than you know, the individual brilliance of a, of a guy like Beal. So it certainly helps when he's, you know, putting up numbers like he did today, the 37 points. But, you know, they can't have games where Dinwiddie's shooting zero for seven and zero points and they're still getting pretty much nothing out of Davis Bertans. He had one good game a, a week or so ago, but that's been about about it. They certainly need, you know, something out of him going forward. And, and they're still waiting, obviously, for um, Thomas Bryant potentially to come back in. And, and we who knows what's going on with Rui Hashimura as well. So there's a couple of... Um, you know, opportunities to improve the roster back end of the season. But, um, yeah, I, I think they want to get a bit more consistency through these guys. A guy like Daniel Gafford's probably levelled off a little bit on his play from the end of last year and the start of this year, so they need him to sort of pick pick up again. But, you know, the bench mob they have there has still been pretty good, led by Montrez Harrell. He's the guy that you know, really comes in and, and, you know, as a key playmaker off the bench. What do you think they should do heading in into this trade season? Now, some of these guys that, that started really well, you know, Kuzma's come back down to earth a little bit. He's down at 41% from the field. You mentioned Dimwitty being 0 for 7 today. Well, he's at 37% for the season. So that, that signing probably hasn't come. I mean, he's coming off an injury, so maybe we give him a little bit of leeway. But he's certainly not playing at the level that they would have hoped when they signed him to that contract. I think it was three years, about $54 million. Uh, that last that last year that contract isn't guaranteed, so maybe they can look to move him on. KCP shooting, you know, forty one percent, although thirty nearly thirty eight percent from three. So, you know, you mentioned Gafford's uh, probably plateaued a little bit since the start of his season. Bertans is shooting under thirty percent from three when you when that's all you're paying him to do. So, and then there's still that elephant in the room with Bradley Beal. Now he's. He started the year really slowly, but he is starting to find his feet. He's due for one of these big uh, max extensions where he's going to be making you know, upwards of $50 million a year over four or five years. Is that a contract you want to necessarily hand out to a guy who's maybe not playing at his absolute best? There's a lot of question marks sort of floating around the Wizards and what sort of path they want to go down. If you were to put yourself in Tommy Shepard's shoes, what would you do heading into this trade period? Would you look to move some of these periphery pieces or or just sort of just just st- stay the course at the moment and just see where it sort of takes itself yeah I'm, I'm probably leaning towards the the ladder there I think they just stay the course here the, the one trade really that's going to either blow this thing up is, is the Bradley Beal piece so it's whether you know they they've just been so reluctant to even discuss it and, and even Beal to his credit has never really um, position that you know he, he wants out or anything like that, but that's the only thing that's going to. Would really you sign him to that to that big extension I mentioned around about similar to what Dame Lillard got? I suppose he's going to be making around the fifty million dollars when we sort of what's going to be 30, 30, 33, 34 years of age. Would you feel comfortable? Have you said enough from Beal over his last couple of years to suggest that you're comfortable enough to give him that contract? I don't think they have a choice. Yeah, I, I think they have to give it to him. Um, you know, they're just a des- they're not a destination that's going to attract. High-level star free agents. You know, if you do draft the guy that's potentially a top twenty player, then you've just got to ride, ride and die with it. That contract will always be tradable. I think it. You know, certainly we've seen it. You know, contracts we thought were untradable have always been able to move. Westbrook, John Wall, and uh, we've seen it happen. So I think you know, you sign him up. 
um, and, and then see what you've got after that. But otherwise, you know, you, you've got to trade him and, and what, what are you going to get back? Is it going to be enough to, to you know, to make you a, a better team or a contender or are you, you making the trade to, to get younger assets in and, and sort of start the rebuild over um, once again, which is, you know, we know how unsuccessful Washington's been for such a long period of time. It's That'd be a hard sell, I think, to the fan base to kind of say, look, we're going to strip it all back and, and start, you know, looking for draft picks to, to start again with. So I think, you know, the realistic option here is just to, to see it out, see how far they can go with this group. I think, you know, they've got a reasonably deep roster. I don't think many of the guys there, you know, you're talking Harold and Kuzma, Dinwiddie, Cordwell Pope, you're not going to be able to get much back for those in, in trades or anything that's going to really necessarily, you know, net you back a star player. Um, to pair with Bill. So you're sort of stuck with this roster in a sense, at least for this season, I think, and then, you know, make the Bill extension and, and kind of go from there um, and then try and find a secondary star somewhere along the line. But, yeah, I think for this year in particular, I think you just ride it out and, and just, you know, you saw what you had at the start of the year, which was a, a pretty pretty decent, you know, squad that was able to win, you know, basketball games regularly. So I think there's an opportunity there to, to make the playoffs and that'd be a pretty good outcome, I think, for Washington this season. Oh, no doubt it would be. I'm sure that if they were told at the start of the season that they would be uh, in the playoffs, that they would have certainly taken that with both hands. So, but I am interested to see what they, how their next sort of two to three weeks goes. Whether this this win today against Utah can be sort of a turning point for them, because I, I don't know. I reckon some of those players you mentioned, like a Kuzma and a KCP, in particular, they're probably the, the kind of players that teams are looking for. Some of those defensive-minded wings, I suppose, that can hit a three. I reckon there's a number of contending teams. Whether you can get much back from, obviously, when you're getting draft picks off contending teams where you're getting, you know, picks in the 20s. So maybe you're not, you know, comf- you know you're not happy enough to, to give those guys up for those sort of picks. But I reckon there could be some interest in some of these players if they do decide to not blow it up, but, you know, maybe get a couple of picks and, and move on some of these guys because maybe they don't want to pay them all when it comes time to uh, to renew their contracts. So we'll call it there, Caddy. Uh, we will wish all our listeners a, a Merry Christmas, of course. Uh, what are we, about six days away now from, from Christmas, Caddy? What do you got planned uh, over the, the festive season? Uh, we'll go down to Patrick's for uh, Christmas in Geelong, which will be great, and then, yeah, we'll head down to the caravan at Inverloch and spend a couple of weeks down there with the kids and, and uh, hopefully get some good weather. I think it's the, the um, long-term forecast is suggesting pretty ordinary weather. Uh, what a, what a surprise. So that's a little bit disappointing. So hopefully, yeah, closer to the new year, we might get some good beach weather and we'll, um, we'll head down there um, and enjoy the break. Well, it should be good. I'm sure everybody after a difficult year is looking forward to getting away and, and uh, enjoying some time with the family. So I wish you, Caddy, the Cads, a very Merry Christmas and all our listeners a very Merry Christmas. And until we speak to you uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk to you then.